This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's where it begins. You can serve the Lord and it's irrespective of what other people decide. You can have a standard and you can live for the Lord, even if your neighbors don't, your co-workers don't, other family members don't. You can make that decision yourself. Because at the end of the day, when you stand before Jesus, it's not going to be, well, my neighbor didn't serve you, so that's the reason I didn't. It's going to be, why didn't you? Or why did you? You have to have personal accountability here. This is what he's calling the people to. It's easy to be swayed by people around you, isn't it? We'd like to think peer pressure is just a school-age problem, but it's a real struggle throughout our lives. It's giving in to gossip at work or letting your friends talk you into one more drink. In today's message, Pastor Gary will challenge you to strongly declare who you're putting your faith in. It isn't a question you can have a soft answer to. You're either serving God or not. It's not a question anyone else can answer for you. So who are you going to serve? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 22, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness aid For it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. Okay, so uh, they averted a disaster there of civil war over what? Hearsay. If there's any inclination uh, in our lives to jump to conclusions, to make assumptions, which often lead to accusations, stop it. Ask questions. Communicate. Find out more information. You know, there have been many times... I can attest over the years where somebody has told me something and you just kind of get riled up inside. Like, well, I can't believe it. And then you hear the rest of the story and then you realize, wow, I'm glad I didn't resort to violence there because I would have been completely in the wrong. And it's a terrible thing to even draw conclusions in our heads about stuff solely based on what we hear that someone said, it's a very dangerous thing. You know, in Proverbs eighteen seventeen, it says, the first to state his case seems right until another comes and examines him. Another way of saying that is, um, you know, when someone says something to you first, there's always another side to the story. And you must always give the benefit of the doubt first. And then investigate, but give the benefit of the doubt. Can I just say to you sincerely over my years of pastoral ministry, there have been a number of people who have confided in me how their lives have been ruined because people jumped to conclusions and made assumptions and accusations that were not true. It's a terrible thing to ruin someone's character reputation based on lies and hearsay. We must be truth seekers and truth tellers. 
Don't jump to conclusions. Hold your tongue. Ask questions. Investigate if necessary. But get the other side of the story. Give someone that benefit of the doubt. If you love them enough as a brother or sister, get the other side of the story. I can't emphasize this enough. How many people have been destroyed by someone's gossip or someone's just repeating of a hearsay and has no basis, no truth, but now because enough people have said it or heard it said, it sticks and it's destructive. And we as Christians particularly need to be above this kind of thing. Hearsay has no place, and especially acting on hearsay has no place in the life of a believer as a Christ follower. All right, we get here to these last two chapters, and these are actually going to be kind of quick reads. I know that they're long, but these are dialogues, and I'm just going to um, share with you right up front. Here's what they are. These are Joshua's final exhortations. He's about to die. We find out at the end of the book that he dies at the age of 110. And uh, it tells us here in the first few verses of chapter 23, it says, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies around about that Joshua was old, advanced in years. Now, some Bible scholars believe there's about 15 to 17 year gap between chapter 22 and chapter 23. And so Joshua is now old and advanced in age. It says in verse 2, And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them. Okay, so there's no real way to gather the entire nation. So he calls for the leaders. He calls for the elders. He calls for the heads, the judges, and the officers, and the army. And he basically is going to speak to them, and then they're going to disseminate the information. And he starts out there... By saying, I am old, advanced in age. I am old, advanced in age. The Hebrew here is very beautiful in the language. The Hebrew is zakin ba'abayamim. Zakin ba'abayamim. And it literally means, I am old and in the twilight of my years, the setting of the sun. It's very poetic language here. The, the word zakin means old, ba'ab means the setting of the sun, and bayamim means the days of. So he, he says, I'm living in the days of the setting of the sun in my life. My life is coming to a close. I know I'm soon going home. And so these are the final words of a man in the last season of his life. And this is what he says to them in verse 3. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward, the Mediterranean. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Now, this is very critical to this speech in chapter 23. So I'm going to repeat that. Be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. So if you want to summarize chapter 23 in a phrase, he's going to tell them, obey God completely. Obey God 
completely. Because if you don't, he says in the rest of verse 6, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, and lest you go among these nations, these who remain among you. See, that's a problem. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. I'm going to return to dust. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that no one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. And when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Let me just tell you what his warning is here. He's saying to them, you need to obey God completely. You need to obey the word of God. Because he said the greatest disaster, and this is so applicable for our own nation, The greatest disaster to befall a nation is not militarily, but morally. He never says, other nations are going to come. They're going to attack you. I mean, there's a place where God will use the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians in their future to be the rod of his discipline. But the exhortation here that Joshua leaves with these leaders is not that there's a threat from another foreign military. He says the greatest threat is from within. Because when you start denying the law of the Lord and you start living with yourself as your own moral standard, it'll be the demise of this nation. And we're seeing this happening in our own nation. Slowly the erosion of God's moral standard in our nation is leading, unfortunately, to the ultimate collapse. I hope I'm not here for that day. But I'm telling you, when you thumb a nose at God, that nation is on borrowed time. And when our Supreme Court of our land starts to codify certain things, like in 1973, the codification of the killing of unborn babies, and now we've had over 60 million babies in the United States murdered, okay? You start not holding life as precious, 
Then in 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, that defines marriage as between a man and a woman. In 2015, the U.S. Supreme Court then said that all 50 states must recognize same-sex marriage. When you start down that path of denying the standard of God, it is the ultimate demise of a nation. And we have come so far from what we used to hold as the standard of moral truth. Listen to some of these quotes from some of our American leaders of the past regarding the Bible and the standard of God's word. Listen, George Washington, it is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. Andrew Jackson, that book, the Bible, is the rock on which our republic rests. Abraham Lincoln, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. Ulysses S. Grant, hold fast to the Bible as the sheet anchor of your liberties. Woodrow Wilson, a man had deprived himself of the best there is in the world who has deprived himself of the Bible. And yet, Biden did not even mention God in the National Day of Prayer declaration in May. He wrote a declaration on the National Day of Prayer, but didn't mention God once. The first president since the uh, National Day of Prayer uh, presidential proclamations have been issued since Harry S. Truman. The first time a president has not mentioned God in the executive proclamation of the National Day of Prayer. What is happening? We're slowly removing the Bible and we're slowly removing God as the standard for what is right and what is wrong in our land. Joshua says, if you do that, it'll be the ultimate destruction of a nation. Let's read what he says in chapter 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, this is his second exhortation here, and his last one. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river, meaning the Euphrates. He's talking about the history of the Jewish people, which began with Abraham, who was not a Jew. Abraham's seed gave birth to the Jewish race. But God is going to call Abraham, the son of Terah, to come to this promised land and through his seed would emerge the Jewish people. And so he's, he's recalling their own history. So he says, you know, Abraham dwelt on the other side of the river in the Euphrates, what today would be Iraq. That's where God called Abraham from, Iraq. In old times, and they served other gods. Verse 3, then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. This is in the first person. This is God recalling history through Joshua. And he just covered there about 450 years. From Abraham to Moses is about 450 years. And he says in verse 6, Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers in chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And so they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, 
and brought the sea upon them and covered them, and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, yeah, 40 years. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your land that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. And then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, and therefore he continued to bless you. And so I delivered you out of his hand. And then you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I gave you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build. And you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Now, notice there's going to be three directives here. Number one, fear the Lord. Number two, serve him in sincerity and in truth. And number three, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Now circle the word serve because the word serve or some form of it, served, serves, served, appears 16 times in this chapter alone. It is the most than any other single chapter in all of the Bible. Serve is the emphasis here. And serve whom? Serve the Lord. So this is going to be the theme of chapter 24. Chapter 23 was obey God completely. Chapter 24 is serve God exclusively. Don't serve any other gods. Serve only the Lord. Verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day. And this is probably the most famous part of the book of Joshua. Many people have what I'm about to read on, you know, placards and stuff. And, and here's, here's what Joshua says. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And Joshua says, look, you know, you're going to, everybody's going to serve somebody or something. You're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to serve this world? Are you going to serve your own desires, your own flesh? Are you going to serve God? And Joshua says, I don't care what anybody else decides. This is not a decision based on the majority. This is a decision based on your life before God. That's why Joshua says, I don't care what anybody else is going to do. Because I can't force you. One thing I know, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's where it begins. You can serve the Lord, and it's irrespective of what other people decide. You can have a standard, and you can live for the Lord, even if your neighbors don't, your coworkers don't, and other family members don't. You can make that decision yourself. Because at the end of the day, when you stand before Jesus, it's not going to be, well, my neighbor didn't serve you, so that's the reason I didn't. It's going to be, why didn't you, or why did you? You have to have personal accountability here. This is what he's calling the people to. And so, verse 16, so the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us up and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. 
And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. And they're like, rah, 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 right? Well, look, verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. Aren't you glad you live in the day of grace? Amen? Because this is harsh stuff. Now listen, he's not discouraging them to not exercise faith. What he's saying to them basically is, there's no time for light commitment. So when they go, yeah, 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 we're going to serve him. He comes back and he basically says, really? You're going to do that? You think so? He's challenging them. He's not coming against them. He's just challenging them. He's like, really? You sure about this? You sure about this? No room for light commitment. By the way, this is nothing dissimilar to what Jesus said in Luke's gospel, chapter 14, verse 27. He says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In other words, he's saying the same thing. There's no time for light commitments. And so, verse 21, the people said to Joshua, no, 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 but we will serve the Lord. And verse 22, so Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone, notice this, he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. And so Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Can you picture this? The guy we're about to read here is 110. He's like rolling this big rock. All right, uh, this rock's going to be a testimony of what you guys just said. You see this here? That's what he does. I'm just giving you a preview of what I'm going to be like in a few more years. Verse 29. And now it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem. In the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, and this is the high priest, Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas' son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. So you have the national leader, Joshua, and you have the spiritual leader, Eleazar. They both died. It's the end of a generation here. And the people of Israel are good for a time. But you know, as time goes on, you know what happens. They tend to forget. 
and thus the book of Judges. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the eventful book of Joshua. After years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people would finally get to enter into the Promised Land. What would it be like? What would their future hold? There were so many unknowns that they were entering into, yet God had promised He would bless them. Entering a new season of anything can be a bit daunting and even scary. But there's a reason that God continually reminded Joshua in this book to be strong and courageous. God would be with them, and He's with you too, as you face new challenges and situations. Do you like the message you heard today? Want to listen to more just like it? At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you can listen to additional teachings from this series in Joshua. If you'd like to get in touch with us and ask for prayer about things you're wrestling through or even struggling to be strong and courageous in, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to pray for you. With that, our time is about up for today, but we look forward to sharing more from the book of Joshua. So come back for more with Pastor Gary here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go But still you know